Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. As always, I'm Joe Whitney, and with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Not much, Joe. Another uh, beautiful day. It's what? Thanksgiving week, man. It's a holiday week. It's exciting. You have like a four-day weekend coming up. So the four-day weekend. Woo-woo. Oh, wait. It's COVID times. That's right. Uh, So I'm going to be staying at home. (laughs) Well, well, hey, for those of you that are tuning in with the video, you might notice we do have a guest with us. We've got Rob Sinclair. Uh, Rob... I've known you now probably a year. Um, you're kind of the jack of all trades in the civil space. So I thank you for taking the time to uh, dive in. This is going to be a good episode. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Well, before we get too in-depth in this conversation, uh, I'm going to start out by asking everybody what they're drinking. Rob, what are you drinking, man? So I am drinking a stout by Untitled Art. And I don't know if you can see that. but Yeah, just got to hold it in front of yourself. That's all. Yep. Yep. It's... Uh, this bleep just got serious, so it's kind of uh, a fitting beer for the times we're in right now. <laughs> That's true. It's a nice uh, 11% beer, so hopefully I make it through this thing with you guys. All right. Well, you you have – we were just chatting about this offline, but you have quite the beer selection going on. So maybe your next beer you choose something that, you know, is, is only 9%. <laughs> Not that that's too much of a difference, but uh, yeah, I, I like uh, a variety of craft beers. I like trying new things. You know, I don't like the the basic stuff out there, but um, you know, I subscribe to an online uh, subscription service. So every month, I get a case of uh, individual beers shows up in my house, and then I get the bill, and I'm like, holy heck, I spent that much money on this. <laughs> yeah, so you had me almost sold on it until I started looking at the prices. And that's where it lost me. It's like, I, I cannot do this. My wife will kill me. Yep. Um, that's where the build a six pack comes in yeah. handy. <laughs> if I can build but, a six pack, but even that, I mean, that's even more expensive than buying a regular well, six the, or sometimes a six. Pack. The build a six packs are usually, unless you've got a large uh, local craft selection, mm-hmm. they're a lot of the big names anyway. So is it really worth it to build a six pack? I like to do the... So in Indiana, you brought a few local craft ones, and I like doing yeah. those. But for the like most part of times we go, our alcohol laws are ridiculous here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, so like you know you go to the grocery store and they've only got they don't have a big offering, right? I don't. I'm sure you've seen this, Rob, where we're kind of pigeonholed by just a few uh, big name breweries, and maybe there's one or two locals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard the recent news with the governor shutting down the bars at 5 p.m. on Wednesday, tomorrow, on the biggest party day of the year. I mean, I kind of get it, you know, to reduce the spread. But, uh, you know, I know it, it hurts a lot of the businesses around here for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, I just uh, so my wife's birthday was last week and 
it just so happened that Oregon actually shut down on her birthday. And I had this whole thing planned where she was going to go get a massage. Her and her best friend were going to go get a massage and they'd go get lunch together. And then um, I found a babysitter for our kids and we were going to go meet them. So me and her husband were going to go meet them for dinner. And like we were going to go get a couple drinks, you know, and hang out, have some adult time. Well, that didn't happen. So I had to improvise. And I'm like, all right, dude. Uh, they went to get a massage. And I'm like, let's go ahead. We got, the, we still got the babysitter. We ran out to Fred Meyer, and then I went to like a, a Mexican restaurant, you know, to try and get some supplies, you know, get some little sombreros, get some margarita mix and stuff like that, and bring it back to the house so we could like make a nice kind of meal for him. But uh, I was talking to this one of the owners here in town, the Mexican restaurant, and asked him, you know, kind of how are you guys doing with all this, and uh, are you seeing like a a good influx of takeout orders to help keep you guys going. And he told me that it seemed like they just got back on their feet to where they could get, start making a profit again. Cause he stayed open to try and, you know, keep paying people and, and, and try to keep supporting his customer base and everything as much as he could. And they finally got to a point where they were profiting. And then he's like, ah, and then there's a two week shutdown. So they go right back into it. I think it's, it sucks. It does. It's, I think it's going to hurt a lot of small business owners, but I don't know, man. I've been trying to uh, personally, I've been going out and trying to eat out a little bit more, which it sucks, but it doesn't like it's cool because I get to eat out a little bit more. You know, it's, I get to be lazy a little bit, but it does suck that I'm spending a little bit more money. But at the same time, I kind of like I try to think of what was if I was in that situation, you know, if I finally had my dream of owning a, a, a restaurant and I was doing pretty successful and then something like this come along and, you know, I'd, I'd hope that people would come out and support me. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we uh, do the same. Um, you know, when this all started, my wife and I were like, let's let's order takeout lunch and dinner every day and, and try a new place every day just to help out everyone. Yeah. Put on 10 pounds since. But <laughs> um, and she actually started a food group on Facebook for the county that we live in. And it has like 7000 followers that they upload menus and specials. And so many people have reached out to her, thanking her just because they've gotten so much traffic now throughout all this, just, you know, keeping their business up as much as possible. Yeah, that's that awesome. Good. We, we've got a, um, I don't know if you follow anything, we're like the next county up, obviously, but like, uh, so where I live, the county or the city, the municipality uh, started hosting a, um, starting like October, I guess, a um, uh movie like event outside type ordeal where you know you're social distancing but you're outside they're, they're showing a movie on a big screen and it's a newer movie um and they have food trucks from all the local restaurants and all that stuff for people you know setting up with uh, carts and stuff outside trying to support local businesses and i don't know i, I feel like there's whenever anything like that happens where, where you're uh, your community steps out or, or your wife or whoever steps out and actually helps support the community. I don't know, man. I feel like it's better for all. You're bringing awareness. You're, you're helping keep jobs. And, you know, it's just a fun time to to not sit at home and have to worry about what you're going to make for dinner. Yeah. yeah. So what are you guys drinking? Oh, there you go, man. You asked the, the million dollar question. So I'm going to start. I've got a Trogues uh, Mad Elf and it is delicious. Uh it's the uh, honey and cherry, you know, seasonal mix that comes out. Um, it, like yours, is an 11%. I am down to my last two of these, so uh, you can't really see it. There we go. Um, <laughs> so after this, I'll probably switch to, you know, uh, my next 
favorite beer locally. Uh, have, um, have any of you guys had Elvis juice? Yeah, Brewdog. Brewdog. Yep. Oh man, I am a fan. I am a fan. They opened up uh, Pittsburgh location, so I'm I'm on that that train, man. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Dave, what about yourself, man? So I got a couple, uh, well, a few different things here actually. Um, my first one, I got a Rogue Bat Squatch, uh, hazy India and a India Indiana, geez Louise, India Pale Ale. Um, so this one's actually I've had this before. I got a variety pack. Uh, Rogue had a supply drop. Right. And they have four of their different kinds of beers. And oh, it's awesome. I love I love Rogue's beers. Rogue love does them. a great job with just about everything they do, man. Yeah, dude. So actually, you know, I wanted to I wanted to um, go back to the last episode when I was talking about that. I was actually mistaken when I was saying they aged them in the Rogue Dead Guy barrels. They do the, the Rogue Dead Guy ale. They do um, still age them in the ocean barrels. But uh, they actually use the same malt from the Dead Guy Ale. So that's ah. what they use for the whiskey. And, yeah, it's different, dude. It has the little dead guy on the top and everything. I, I, I went back to the liquor store to look at it. <laughs> I like, drool on it a little bit more, really debate on it. I'm like, all right, next week. Next time I'm just doing it. I'm going to buy it. Um, and then I have a, a Dominable Winter Ale from the Hopworks Urban Brewing or the Hub Brewery. Ah, I love Hub, man. That is like the most family-friendly brewery there is. They've got a kid's play section. Like, it's it's a cool spot. Heck yeah, it is, dude. Oh, and I almost forgot I got my uh, new bullet. So, dude, uh, I, I love the alcohol gift sets, by the way. I'm kind of a sucker for those. But I got some more whiskey cups. These are <laughs> bullet cups. They came with a, a you know, a, a, what, 750 milliliter uh, container of bullet bourbon. And I was like, ah, 25 bucks and I get cups? Yes. <laughs> I, yeah oh yeah i'm a sucker for uh free stuff <laughs> i think you're just a sucker but it's all right <laughs> sorry man. uh all right well we 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 started diving into like kind of hardships felt by uh people in the area for um covid and what's going on um a lot of us have felt a different kind of hardship and that's travel and i noticed you have this beautiful background uh of the italy trip uh, that I'm going to ask you about here in a second. Did that get put on hold this year as well? It did, yeah. Yeah, we were uh, supposed to go back for a third time in April, and that got pushed back for obvious reasons. So well, tell- hopefully uh, next year we get to uh, go back and do our thing. So tell everybody a little bit about this trip. It's uh, a pretty, re- it's a big deal. It's it's one of the first things I, I looked into when I Googled Autodesk in Pittsburgh together. Yeah, so it started in 2016 with the Volterra Detroit Foundation. Um, There's a gentleman in Pittsburgh that is on the board of that foundation, and they actually have a residential college over in Volterra, Italy. So we partnered up with the town and the mayor of Volterra uh, to digitally capture some of the ancient historical, you know, artifacts in the city. Uh, A lot of the uh, historic features in the city are older than some of the newer, uh, I guess, one example is this Etruscan arch. You know, there's a Etruscan arch in Italy that is actually on the UNESCO World Heritage list. And the mayor of Volterra wanted their arch to be on that list because it's older and it's, you know, definitely been around. And um, 
So he he was a big proponent of us coming over, digitally capturing everything. And that was right around the time that uh, Italy had a few earthquakes that damaged some of their you know prized historic uh, possessions over there. So they wanted a digital record of it. So if a natural disaster would happen, we could have that point cloud essentially to rebuild it exactly as it as it stood today. So we did, you know, 20 some projects in the city. We did other projects throughout other parts of Italy. Um, you know, we went, I personally went over twice. Uh, a couple other folks went over three times. Uh, this year would have been our fourth trip over there. Uh, so it's, it's definitely, uh, pretty cool, pretty, um, uh, definitely, uh, you know, blessed that I got to be a part of that. And, you know, it, it, when we got to the city the first time, it was almost like, uh, we were celebrities, you know, the mayor had a welcoming ceremony for us. All the people in the town was, you know, buying us little coffees and espressos and just, it was just a, a cool feeling. And we, we had kind of free reigns of the town to go into these, uh, kind of roped off areas that nobody should ever get into, but we were allowed to go in because we were, you know, scanning this information and helping the city out. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I know, um, government entities that, you know, where, where these historical artifacts are, they're, they're very protective on who gets in and all that stuff. So it's great that you guys, you know, uh, a group of Americans with, you know, this cool technology got to come in and digitally capture everything. We actually have a, a friend of ours uh, who did, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Topa 3D, uh, Paul Tice, uh, their scan company. And okay, they yeah. uh, they they went and did the the Ark, uh, the uh, Noah's Ark and stuff, or what they nice. believe to be Noah's Ark. Yeah. Um, but like there's there's a whole like cloud of secrecy around it. Like they can't, you know, do certain stuff and um you know, you guys kind of had free range with the data. Like I, I look, I've gotten to see, you know, some of the stuff that you guys produce. So what are you, you know, is, is this something you guys get to just share willy nilly with everybody? Is this, it's not like close held close to the best. Yeah. So everybody that's been involved with this um, can use the data any way they want. Um, you know, it's not protected by any means. So, you know, we definitely share it for educational purposes. Um, People want the data for different reasons, for educational reasons. We'll definitely share that. Uh, and, and year over year, we want to go back. Um, one project, for example, was it, last year, 2019, we discovered the first uh, Roman amphitheater in Italy in the last 150 years. And it was covered up in dirt, grass, and everything. So we flew drones, and we scanned it and surveyed it. And then archaeologists came in um, and started uncovering it. So we got a subsequent scan after that, and we actually um, weren't allowed to go back to Italy because of COVID. So we shipped the scanner over, FaceTime one of the students on how to operate the scanner so that we could document uh, midway through the the uh, uncovering uh, where, where the progression is of, you know, the archaeologist's work. So we got that data set, and then whenever they're done, We'll scan it again so we can have that progression of them unearthing this Roman amphitheater. Well, that's going to take some dedication on y'all's part. I mean, shipping a piece of equipment overseas for somebody else to use in hopes that it doesn't break and it gets returned and all that sort of stuff. But just to capture uh, a kind of time sequence of, of uh, how this is all, you know, playing out and, and the, what's being unearthed and, and, you know, see the 
the how things have changed. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and we've been fortunate that um, a, a lot of the the software and equipment manufacturers have donated the equipment for this adventure. Um, so, you know, I guess if it did break in during shipping, hopefully we wouldn't be liable for it. Uh, <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. You know, kind of... We have an Italian office, man. We just got to give them a call and tell them to go out there. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right? That'd be nice. But rewinding back to, like, the COVID point there, um, I, I just wanted... I, I was thinking about this as you were talking because, you know, typically we would go ahead and send people out to the site. And, of course, during COVID times, we can't really do that. But the use of the technology, we've seen that adoption, right, and new ways of, of using that technology because, of course, we can't allow... Um, as many people on a normal construction site or, you know, as many things as we were before, right? So we're kind of developing new workflows, developing new processes to use this technology in different ways. I kind of, uh, I don't know, I kind of like it. Like, I don't, I don't like COVID. Don't, don't get me wrong. I do not like COVID. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not one of those people. We're, we're going to call you a COVID sympathizer. You're going to get labeled. <laughs> You're going to have to right. wear a scarlet letter, man. Right. But I am seeing the the technology or the the usage of the technology advance you know in terms of let's say scanning for safety issues things like that we're using some of the robotic like uh i've seen like almost rc cars type of things that can drive through the site to you know actual dog you know the robot dog and all that kind of stuff it's uh what's up i was gonna say rob could probably talk more about the robot dog just a little bit uh they're they're exploring some avenues yeah yeah, spot is yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty uh, pretty invested in getting one. Um, yeah, uh, one of our vice presidents was really on board with getting one, and I know there's some other competitors out there to spot now, but uh, you know, pretty big price tag, so we have to find a business case for it at around seventy five grand for one of those guys. But uh, you know, just the safety aspect of putting spot in somewhere where you don't want a human to be is, is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, Mining, no. detecting gases, uh, yeah. nuclear sites. I mean, there's there's a whole use case. No, I gotta it. ask though, it's not constantly scanning, right? It's essentially a transport device that reaches a a destined position and then takes a scan. Right. right. Yeah. Like Self level yeah. itself and everything. Yeah. So you could program it with waypoints, or you can have like QR codes if you're inside a building to have spot go to a certain position, stop activate the scanner, take the scan, then move to the next position and just keep doing that. You know, the That's unfortunate thing with that, I think it only has an hour battery life, but oh. you can strap additional battery packs onto them. So you got to kind of weigh all that into consideration. Yeah, that's interesting, especially when going down. I mean, when we can get into those, uh, you know, archaeological sites or mining, you know, if you can get into mines, but those things go for a really, really long time. I mean, I guess we just know that you go down for a half hour. You got to bring him up a half hour, <laughs> change his battery. But I guess that would be, uh, I don't know, it's either that or set up checkpoints. But I mean, that's a that's a very cool use of technology. And we'll have to see how it kind of uh, evolves, right, and how it grows. Yeah, we can we can check back with you maybe, you know, a year from now, six months from whenever you guys get one. And kind of get get your personal feedback on it. That'd be an interesting perspective. Yeah, it would be cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I I thought it might be scanning while it was walking. I couldn't figure out how it would um, recognize like the jarring motions it would set off. Well, the scan. it could 
it could uh, there, there could be an algorithm to uh, account yeah, for this stuff. I, I'm sure you could do that with one of the SLAM scanners, SLAM technology mm-hmm. scanners. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a company in Pittsburgh, Cardo, that has a great unit uh, that, you know, you could probably strap on that thing and, and do real-time scanning. Yeah, yeah I've chatted yeah. with their uh, CEO and their director of marketing. They, they're actually looking at coming on the podcast. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the scanners that we're seeing nowadays are awesome, man. We're seeing backpack scanners, handheld scanners, and then, uh, oh, wheels, ones with wheels on it. I seen one that they were pushing like a cart kind of thing, and it had a scanner on it, and they were able to kind of push it around. Now, I I wasn't sure about stairs with that. You might be dragging that thing backwards like a dolly, but, you know, (laughs) I I don't know. It looked pretty cool, though. The ones on wheels always make me think of like a hospital, like... They're so surgical in their look. Yeah. It's just like, or sterile, not surgical. They're so sterile in their appeal. Yeah. It's like, who's doing this? Like, this yeah. is not a construction. Yeah, we actually had a backpack scanner in Italy, and we walked through every single street in the entire town to capture all the data we could with that backpack scanner. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the the slam algorithms are uh, they're really coming along. The IMUs, and uh, it's just... It's great technology to be able to leverage in, in scanners. Well, yeah. okay, so we can now get into the other portion of that, though, I think, with, with scanning. We're talking about scanning. What about uh, UAVs and drones? We're starting to see a, a lot more usage with that, too, and, and a lot more usage cases, I think. Rob, uh, so real quick before we dive into that, we I don't think we said who you work for, if that's cool, if we mention your, your employer. Um but you guys have a, you guys are huge, and you guys have a large fleet of drones and and technology. I guess is how how you're getting to play with all these uh, these amazing tools. Yeah, yeah. So I work for Civil and Environmental <laughs> Consultants (CEC). Uh, we're ba- based and headquartered out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm, Twenty five offices. Yep. Twenty uh, Pittsburgh. Ten and O Steelers, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, About so to jump have, on a bandwagon and just saying. Yeah, you should. You should. Get your terrible towel in your back terrible in the background towel, there. Is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. we have about 1,100 employees uh, across 25 offices, and you know I'm a Part 107 pilot myself. Uh, been involved with the drone program at CEC from kind of day one, and we have 30 remote pilots and probably about 30 drones with all sorts of different uh, remote sensing technology strapped onto it: photogrammetry, optical gas. Um, you know, uh, near infrared, we got LIDAR, you know, you, you name it. We we probably have that sensor we could strap on a drone. And we're actually going down in two weeks to Alabama to pick up a, a new toy. So, yeah, I know yeah. some of those drones, you mentioned the gas part one a second, a, cent, a second ago, they, they get up, they get up there, man. Those are uh, quite costly. You were talking about a big expense for, for spot. I've seen some of those go for, you know, nearly quarter million. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, yeah, and thankfully, uh, CEC is really good about that. You know, we have a good business plan in place that, and, and you know, the technology's kind of proven itself over the years. You know, the drone program's been around for about five years now at CEC. We actually started when you needed a 333 exemption. We were uh, one of the first engineering companies in, in the country to have that. So we kind of uh, proved the technology, and, and, you know, they're kind of willing to open up the checkbook, so to speak, to invest in new technology mm-hmm. so let me ask you what what all have you seen um like what workflows have you seen kind of boosted what have you seen the results coming out of those uav kind of uh photo photogrammetry uh photogrammetry wise you know it 
it's definitely a really valuable tool set, you know, from entry level Phantom 4 Pro with or without RTK, you know, you can get really accurate results with the Phantom 4 for just a couple thousand dollars entry level, as long as you're flying like an open site, you know, dirt, grass, that kind of thing. Once you get into vegetation, tree cover, things like that, you definitely want to go LIDAR. Um, but we did a study in Italy just kind of messing around with data and different sensors. We did traditional surveying with GPS. We did um, uh, terrestrial LIDAR, and we flew the Phantom 4 drone on a project. And then we compared all that data, and it's surprising how accurate the photogrammetry is. I mean, it's with a, within a, a few hundredths of an inch um, with the photogrammetry on that particular project that we did all this comparison on. So, you know, I, I knew it was good, but once I did that comparison, I'm like, you know, on a wide open site, you know, photogrammetry, definitely people should not push that away. Yeah. yeah. Now, so let me ask then, what did the translation of that data look like downstream? What what results did you get out of it? Yeah, so uh, it depends on uh, this particular project that I mentioned. You know, we ultimately wanted to pull that into Civil 3D for an existing topo surface uh, so that we could do designs on top of that. So, you know, a lot of what we do in the civil engineering industry is capturing existing ground data for our engineers to design on top of. We do do some, you know, uh, uh, our architectural scanning interior and exterior, but typically we deliver a point cloud to whatever client that may be. Uh, we do have a team that does uh, as-built documentation and, and Revit, Plant3D, and different softwares like that using point cloud data. So, I mean, we're kind of kind of a broad spectrum of different services that we provide. So, yeah. So well, you Joey were, and I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say. So, uh, on a previous episode, we were chatting with uh, uh, Carlos, who mentioned a project he was working with you guys specifically. I guess from an as-built standpoint, where you guys were capturing. Uh, laser scan data um, is that same team kind of oversee the drones, the scanning, the as-built, all that sort of stuff. And uh, do you guys have you know uh, standards kind of in place for you know proven processes? He he had a really good talk piece about uh, uh, you know the benefits and 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 the workflow that he was doing. So it just made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, and that was a great project that we got to work on with him and. Yeah, we, we do have kind of a, a large team in place um, that, that does all that kind of work. And, you know, we, we all communicate probably on a biweekly basis just to make sure we're all on the same page with standards and processes. Um, but, but that project in particular, that was uh, as-built documentation during construction. Uh, so we were actually on call. So if they would dig a trench and they were going to lay pipe in that trench, you know, they would give us a 24-hour notice, say, hey, you guys need to be here to scan this. And so we would do that um, throughout the construction. And what they would take this data and use it for is as-built documentation. So in the future, if they did phase two or phase three of this project, or they would do any construction on site, they would be able to open up this point cloud and pull it into Plant 3D or other softwares to say, okay, are we going to have any conflicts if we dig here or build this foundation over here? That is remarkable data to have. I worked, I did a lot of stuff with Texas Railroad Commission data in the past, and they do not know where most of their pipes are. So the fact that you have a, a firm, a self-performing uh, contractor in this this sorts, 
wanting to push that envelope to capture this data so that they don't run into any issues in the future. That's that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and from his standpoint, you know, he he mentioned to us that, you know, in the past, every time they did not do this, they would always hit like a conduit or something like that. And it would cost way more to replace that than it did for us to scan the project and have that accurate documentation. Oh, I can imagine. We So we've done some work in the past with various, um, I won't call anybody out, just say they're ports. Um, and they don't even know what is underneath the ground. They don't know where their sewer lines are. They don't know where anything is. Mm-hmm. They have all these additions going on and renovations, and they're constantly hitting their existing utilities. And it's costing them you know, thousands and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, um, uh, you know, work to to fix and repair all this stuff. And then they have to figure out how they're going to move it. I think that's why we're seeing a big push to smart cities, right? And, you know, Joey and I have talked about this. This is the big pie in the sky, right? Or my big idea is I'd like to have, yeah, dude, that big database where all of the existing conditions are recorded. And if we can kind of pull from that and and know that it's actually updated, not this is like 10 or 15 years old and this site has gone through three editions, you know, and I didn't even know this was all here. Uh, It's nuts. But I mean, if we can get to that point, I think as things are added, as they're as they're adjusted, and and not, I mean, I want to have a point cloud, right? But I also think that I want to push forward and think we we're going to have a better process for this scan to BIM translation or scan to SIM translation, right? Uh, Infoworks I think does a great job with the topo surface. If we can find the underground piping networks and things like that and understand what's going on there. Right. And then integrate that into an existing model and then bring both of those together. I think that, you know, that would be kind of the way of the future ish. I think that's so, the way I want to see it. <laughs> so this is going to lead into another long tangent. So just put a pin in that because I, I really want to get on this rabbit hole. But real quick, uh, Dave, you asked a question earlier about the de- uh, the deliverable essentially from the scan and the drone process. And there's something that we didn't touch on that um, we talked about at another time. So uh, Rob, for those that don't recall, Dave and I did this uh, roundtable for Dynamo uh, for the Festival of BIM and Digital Construction. Uh, You guys were using Dynamo to take UAV data, I I believe it was UAV data, um, to take trees and all that sort of stuff. Talk talk a little bit about that. And then I I do want to jump back on that because that opens up a lot of Pandora's box. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I yeah, I think we're we're definitely just scratching the surface uh with the power of Dynamo. You know, we definitely have some custom scripts to raise and lower surfaces and do other things like that. One of the most recent things that we are looking into, uh we also do mobile lidar, so we we need to do power line extraction and we have to analyze where the power lines ha- are within 6 inches of one another throughout this basically a 30-mile run. And we also have to measure the lowest point of that line sag to the ground surface. So we're still working on that. Um, you know, we're definitely a work in progress right now. We're probably 80% of the way there, I would say. But, you know, that's definitely going to be, be a big hurdle if we figure out how to get that done. So we have a uh, like a standing BIM user. I don't know what we call ourselves, man. It's just a... Uh, a group of people that like alcohol and, and Autodesk technology. 
Uh, and you brought this up there and uh, the other gentleman that was with us, sorry, I'm pointing a knife. I'm trying to open my beer. I left my beer opener in the other room to go run and grab it. But um, we have this. He uh, stabs his hand. Yeah, which, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fine. Just pour some of the whiskey on it. I have a box of uh, beer beer uh, bottle openers um, that you know, screw into the wall. I have like 10 of them all through my house, my deck, up, up lower upper deck, all that sort of stuff. Like 13 places in my garage. But uh, for whatever reason, I don't have one in my office. I, that was the poor mistake on my part. But <laughs> but uh, so the gentleman that we chat with on this, uh, uh, Travis Williams, uh, that guy's mind for Dynamo is crazy. So like, you, yeah. you, you rope that guy in, man. He's good. He's, he's yeah, good. yeah. And, and as you know, on the on the architectural side, you know, Dynamo has been around five plus years. On the civil side, we just got it just over a year ago, so yeah. it's still new for us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, if anybody can figure it out, man, it's definitely you. Uh, you, you know, you know, like what, 80 different programs. You're you're definitely uh, well versed in this. You're an Autodesk expert elite. I see your shirt on right now, man. It's- yeah, I didn't realize we'd be on camera. I w- would have dressed up for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's all good. Uh, I yeah, tell I, you, I guess the saying is uh, jack of all trades, master of none. There's like a handful of things that I would consider myself to be above average at, but you know, those 80 softwares, it's all, all kinds of things from all the Autodesk applications to, uh, you know, all the remote sensing applications, scanning, all that good stuff. So you got to figure yeah. out how to make it all work. Dude, that's yeah. another one I really want to get into. There's so many tangents I want to get into on this, but, you know, remote scanning. Well, I mean, well, let's say remote verification, the sensors, like censoring, right? Yeah. I think that if we can... Um, get to a point where you can fly something over and it it has a sensor to detect you know the movement on it so um i worked on a project with a company that was well i have i haven't fully worked on it with them now i was brought in to kind of talk about the different uh things that might happen for a transportation system that started out in a tube and i think they're gonna i think they're gonna be in a, a tube kind of thing right and they transport people very fast. And they were talking about uh, people or, or things. They were talking about the ground moving and you know the force that it would put on the system as it as it goes. They have to verify like if this does move, how far does it move? Because you know if you're if you're using like uh, let's say magnetic levitation or whatever it might be, you know you got to know where where this is right you got to know where this piece this tube or this this prefabricated piece what have you might be and i mean on something like that let's think about how how that could be used if you just fly a drone down this and you know exactly where your deviation points any off points might be and then you can call like maybe that'll set up an issue that automatically tags or set up some responsibility you know sends it back to a database i think as we start man i think we could talk about that for days i that gets me excited you're talking about like deflection inside sorry i had to go open a beer guys uh <laughs> are you talking about like deflection uh from like rail lines and bridges and yeah, seeing how dude. things change yeah yeah i think deflections from rail lines buildings like roadways you anything said magnetic so levitation and it brought one specific project to mind so yeah uh, Leave it at that. NDA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But I, I think like on that project, I think something like that would be cool. The railways, I, I think roads, bridges. You know, because a lot of times, um, I've, I've seen the structural bridge, you know, inspections. When I was back at Ivy Tech, I had a instructor who worked for, 
uh, well, the city government, and he went around kind of inspecting their bridges to see if they were in, in, inside or outside of tolerance levels, right? And for one person or even a couple of people to do that, uh, a lot of times they're eyeballing, then they go ahead and try to take measurements, you know, and it, it it's not a very great process, it seems like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're, you're thinking about how much these bridges do, how much weight they support. And I'm like, man, that seems like it's a pretty big deal, you know, <laughs> and you, you want to get accurate results. But I, I think as we get into something like scanning like that, if you can fly the drone over the, the roadway, you'd be able to do more than a person could in well, so much less time. That that brings up a few different things, Rob. I'm probably going to ask you about here in a sec. But so with scanning over roadways, aren't there specific roadways that you can and can't scan over or, or fly over rather drones? Well, yeah, technically you can't fly over any roadways. Um, oh. So, you know, uh, uh, bad. that's uh, not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no. but you could you could fly alongside the roadway and still capture the data. Huh. So you got to kind of play that card. Um, but, you know, to, to what you were just talking about, imagine in the future, like any new construction project, like a bridge, you know, if we set up on survey control and scan that, and then, you know, if there is deviation or whatever, you could set up on that same survey control year over year and check for, you know, potential failures or, or whatever, using all this remote sensing technology that we have at our fingertips now. Yeah. I remember chatting with the event that actually you and I met face to face with, which was the Pennsylvania surveyors event uh, last year. Yeah. Um, there was a gentleman there that was uh, he. I don't. He worked for a consultant, but did a lot of uh, Pennsylvania DOT work. And his whole thing was uh, about measuring deflection and, and uh, deviation with bridges and seeing if things are, are failing, if there's sags and all that sort of stuff. Um, and having a uh, a stationary total station, you know, monitoring that real time was never in the initial budget. So they don't even have uh, known point. I'm sure they have control somewhere where they can figure it out. But like, had they just mounted something to begin with, they would have a constant reading. It just has to be thought of ahead of time. But firms like you guys going back after the fact to get that level of accuracy and those tolerances, are you using remote sensing? Is it, uh, you know, is this topographical, you know, scanners for lack of a better term? Is it total stations? What what, what type of stuff do you guys typically do? It, it, it all depends. I mean, like what you just brought up, uh, we had a, a school down in uh, West Virginia that was actually uh, mine, mine subsidence underneath was causing it to kind of sink and it was causing some cracks in the foundation. So we set up a total, total station real-time analysis and and have that data reading back to the project team so that they can analyze the movement and, and try to figure out how to uh, fix that project. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it all depends on what the project is and what the ultimate deliverable is, you know, depending on what one, which one of these hundreds of different uh, pieces of technology you're going to select and use. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so uh, as you're wearing your Autodesk, you said hundreds of pieces of technology. You've got your Autodesk shirt on there. I imagine you live most of your life today in the uh, Autodesk applications, uh, being civil, what civil 3D, InfoWorks. Uh, where, where do you spend most of your time? Yeah, primarily uh, civil 3D, InfoWorks, um, recap because we have to, I guess, to, to get because they took that into functionality Autodesk products. <laughs> 
Hey, at least it's a Pittsburgh application. Come on, man. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I know uh, an ex uh, recap team member, and they refer to it as recrap. <laughs> <laughs> well, did that person go off to find another uh, scan company or, or a point so cloud this company? Wasn't, this wasn't the same guy, but oh, okay. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy that started another uh, kind of scan kind of scanned the mesh uh, company. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I was disappointed when they took the scan to mesh functionality out of I recap. Was too, dude. Oh yeah. I tried, oh. I tried the, uh, the recap photo, you know, and that does create a mesh, which is cool that that creates a surface. So that's kind of cool. It is a tin surface, but um, it's just, it was interesting to me how I'm like, man, let me, let me go ahead and take some pictures of this basement room. Right. And maybe I can make this like model out of it and bring it in as a point cloud and kind of start. No, no, it, it, yeah. it that didn't work at all. <laughs> it, we, it just, we can take the tin and create, or we can take the point cloud and create civil surfaces, export them to civil 3d from Infoworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that typically the workflow you're doing these days? Uh, no, I mean, Infoworks, well, you've got a million softwares, I'm sure. Yeah, Infoworks, it's getting better, but it's still not to the level of some of these other applications that we we have at our fingertips. I mean, obviously, they still cost money, but, uh, yeah. you know, Infoworks is getting better. Ultimately, I would love to just run everything through the Autodesk products because we have them anyway. We paid for them. You know, if we could eliminate some of these other third-party softwares that we need, that would be ideal. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. We've so seen that a lot. Uh, we got it. We got. I know we got to see a lot of improvement with that info. Well, with Infoworks too. I know it's not as precise. I've seen a lot of people talk about uh, getting using Infoworks for conceptual and actually pushing a little bit past conceptual and then making all the fine tweaks in Civil 3D is a lot of times what I what I've found. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we do. And then you also can take it back into Infoworks at the end. You know. Mm-hmm after you're done with your construction documents and then you could kind of show that yeah um you know for public meetings or or whatever um so you could just take images or fly through videos um mm-hmm. you can also host that model on bim 360 which is now a different name now coming up oh yeah all the changes with that one we'll see how that uh, we'll see yeah. how that goes yeah so uh i i had been on bim 360 i don't know like seems like a million years now but probably about five years and I've seen it through all these different iterations. And the whole time I've just been thinking to myself, to get adoption outside of 3D workflows, or at least vertical 3D workflows, we need to change the name from BIM 360. And two, we need to be able to tie into other um, uh, programs. You know, we made the leap with other programs, uh, you know, mainly Civil 3D this past year. Um, and then uh, the news that was announced at AU, which was a blast this year, just not the same. Uh, was that um, you're, it's including now with the AEC collections, Doc, Docs for the most part at least was, right. and then now the new brand, new names, all that fun stuff. Uh, what are you, going forward with this? You know, are, do you guys anticipate you know taking advantage of BIM 360 or, or Docs rather? Yeah, yeah. So you know, with Civil 3D, uh, we you know we have to do the collaboration for Civil 3D, which needs the design license. Collaborate. Um, Collaborate now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Everybody was confused before this, and so now they're going to even be more confused. Even after more the confused. New naming. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, see for. No, it's the next oh, wait, gen. No. Next gen. Design. No wait. Next. Next. Yeah. Next. Next gen. That's <laughs> the next. Yeah. We've, next had, gen. we've had this internal joke. Yeah. We've been under embargo for a while, and we were like, all right, you know, like let's let's talk about this eventually. So I'm glad it's lifted. I'm glad we can say stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, so uh, up until recently, there were limitations to um, using Civil 3D with BIM 360 design. Because it had um, didn't really support sheet set manager, didn't support data references. Um, so we had there were, were kind of odd workarounds to get around it, but it was kind of you know your average everyday user. It would have been kind of too much for them to take on. So you know and that's getting better. Um, so we're definitely going to keep it in the back of our mind as a, a valuable uh, alternative to I'm, you know. Well, so things are. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit things are changing in that regard we um we our employer dave and i's employer uh was going down this uh, venture of developing stuff autodesk came to us and said that's a great idea we'll take it from here so there are enhancements that are coming i'm going to leave it at that that are going to make your life a lot easier awesome yeah what's well, the I'm, time frame on that are you allowed to say oh. 12 years, man. <laughs> so, so when BIM 360 first came out and it was Project Alexandria, we got this whole pitch. We had it, all of us flew to Denver. We did this whole thing. We were sitting in a room with, with uh, you know, this, you know, newly formed Autodesk construction team. And they're like, hey, guys, guess what? Um, you know, all of this legacy stuff that you're used to, you know, uh, field glue, it's coming. It's coming, you know, within six months, it'll be the next version Six months turned into a year, a year turned into two years, two years turned into three years, three years turned into probably four years. So right now we're getting to the point where we actually have a glue, um, uh, um, you know, you know, like twin, right? You know, and the new platform and build is, is, is essentially the twin for field. And now Autodesk is like, okay, we're here. And then they re-release a new thing and all these changes. So much hasn't changed with the with the glue thing, right? So now it's coordinate coordinates just migrated to the design team. They merged those teams, but build is a completely new product. They rebuilt it on Planner. It's going to be better. I'm I have 100% faith in it. It's it's going to be a great product. I'm but at the same time, it was like, what's that? I mean, I'm also excited, really excited for the coordinate kind of portion because um, you think about being able to coordinate. Oh now yeah, it's you're embedded with, with design 3D, process. 3D DWGs. Yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, that's really what we've been talking yeah. about is bridging that gap, right? But yeah, making sure that as the you know CAD models, DWGs, plant, whatever it is, um, as they update, I want to see the package creation. I want to see the design collaboration, like publishing, and ab actually ab able to create packages of document sets and things like that that you can allow others to consume and and then kind of push forward with it and then again integrating further into that um communication process of coordination and, and clash detection and i know we got into this a little bit before man but this is also where i want to see us getting into that clash prevention right i know we got we put a pin in the last one so i'm going to bring up another one that's that got like a bdc like dude i do i really BDC, do like hard on right now it's i do like, man <laughs> let's talk about this all the Sam, BDC guys. BDC Viagra. Um, it's, <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> it's 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 patent really that copyright BDC Viagra. <laughs> BDC Viagra. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, Love it, man. Get you know that clash prevention across the board. 
I just, I cannot, I, 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 I'm very excited for that thought process, you know, as these designs are updated, design changes might become, a, or, or, you know, change orders, I would say, would, would become a thing of the past, right? In that sense, because you're, you're already getting into well, predicting what's going to happen. Now, change orders. I don't think change orders are going to go away. Well, I mean, no, we make our money on change orders, right? I mean, most. Yeah. Yeah, but if you, I mean, I guess if owners go through the process making changes, the design all, change orders themselves. All I think RFIs are going to go away. That's what we're going to okay. see. Is, the depth of the uh, RFIs type of the thing. Devil, yeah, that's going to go away because the design process has changed. It's more interconnected. You have the latest updated information. We have a friend. I don't know if you've been exposed to David Corticus, uh, Rob, but uh, that gentleman is like trying to kill RFIs. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, that's a good thing. I think that we should. Like, you shouldn't need to request information. All of the information should, should be at your fingertips. It should be right there. It should be in the model or whatever interface. And please, let's just make it like one in interface to access the information at least. We know the yeah. designs themselves can be in, you know, Advanced Deal, Plant 3D, AutoCAD, Revit, you know, what have you, or whatever other programs you want to use, but let's bring them all together, at least in one environment, one platform, common data environment, right? So we can but, interpret all of this data. So and this is all like mostly for the vertical space. Rob, does this play in the two, in the civil space for you? Are you uh, running up to the same issues? So, yeah, I mean, the civil civil groups are always the uh, redheaded stepchild and last on the, the list to, to get all this uh, cool collaborative technologies. Um, <laughs> I think once you guys, surveyors, damn it. Yeah, so once you guys see it 100%, I think uh, we're probably going to be five or ten years behind that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that. But at the same time, I'm excited. I'm, I'm still looking forward to it, you know, because at the same time, when we can really integrate these processes, it's only going to help our industry as a whole. You know, Joey, you said it was kind of vertical focused, but if I think about it, a project, you know, when you go to get your initial permits to break ground, you you have to know where your utilities are going to be. You have to know where your structure is. Yeah, that's a civil, civil engineer, surveyor focus, right, to think about Ish. that. So, I mean, it is, but it's not at the same time. You got to think about let's let's talk about design build, right? Because uh, that was actually my, one of my first experiences um, with breaking ground and getting these projects, getting it permitted, going through and making sure all of our um, – gosh, I can't remember what it was, but you got to send up all the information for your building so they can approve it based off the energy that oh, it would use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you meant like specifically what was in the ground that you were digging. Oh, yeah. No, breaking no. ground. Yeah, yeah. Breaking ground. You're going to break ground, right? And and when, when, we, when we apply for that permit, they got to know – an idea, a general idea, like conceptual, right? Because that's what I see a lot of times. It's it's design it's pre-baked. Yes, it, it is design <laughs> intent. Yeah, but it, it's a lot of times they'll use that to kind of break ground, and then they'll be developing as they're going out to cut and things like that. You know, they're they're adjusting the drawings. Man, I I really think if we can really tie everything together so that. Again, as the, the civil design changes to let us know if lines are being moved or they're going here. So the architect himself knows, OK, I need to position my building here. The electrician knows well, this is where the entry that, power is going to be, you know, and then the actual that. machine control knows, like, you know, you, we want to tie everything together. So the bulldozer, the scraper, the excavator themselves, everybody is connected to this environment. So, again, as these things change. You know, it's updated for everybody. You know, my, my stepdad is actually a uh, 
Um, he's a heavy equipment operator for Reith Riley out of Indiana, local 150. And he tells me one of his pain points is going out to the site. And this dude's a journeyman. He's been doing this for 30, 40 years. He's going out to the site. You know, he goes out and he operates the grader and he'll cut all these curb lines and everything. And it's a great day. And then he'll come out the next day. And there were design changes that he didn't know about that happened yesterday. And now he's got to go back and rework all of that stuff he did yesterday. And that's just that's literally like 16 to 20 hours of work that if if. The, the file that he'd have been pulling from for his GPS and everything would have updated. He would have known and it could have said, oh, well, you know what? Let's go ahead and make this change. Let's get off of what we're doing. And if it'll refresh and even if there's like an alert, like we think about with Revit or with AutoCAD, Civil 3D, our XREF updates, right? Then it lets you know. It sends you a little alert that you can click on and say, oh, my, my XREF updated. Let's refresh. We should have the same kind of thing, I think, with machine control so that – you know, again, everybody in the whole construction process mm. itself is connected. Yeah. You can. That would be awesome. That you can. Awesome. And we can chat about that later. Cheers. I can show you that stuff, man. I uh, I'd, like, I'd like to be involved with that chat, too. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. Yeah. So, so the machine control side, there is a cloud-based application that will update the project files. Um, there's a manual QA process that goes with it, but you can actually make sure that you're working with the latest files. In fact, we can connect that directly to BIM 360. So as our civil designers, whoever update files in BIM 360, they update in our, uh, external application. That's what I want to see, man. That's exactly yeah. what I want to see. That would be I'm going to show you guys some magnet enterprise and you guys are going to be happy. <laughs> Hey, but, man, I, I just I really think I can't get off of it. I'm a, I'm a technology hippie, right? I want to connect everybody together. Oh, you hippie. Bridge all of these workflows. You're the things. only hippie I know that's building an AR, by the way. So. <laughs> hey, that's all right. It, it's, so, uh, it's all green. So if you guys, you know, speaking of earth moving and, and you know, what civil engineers do is we, we grade, grade the ground and for development to happen, um, have you guys seen uh, Ground Force, which is now kind of getting rebranded to Grading Optimization? I think it is. I did. I am. Uh, I'm pretty happy about that, man. Design automation in the civil space is going to be huge. Uh, that and the uh, new SpaceMaker acquisition, I yeah. think they're going to drive our industries. So it's going to be great. Yeah, SpaceMaker like gets you know parking lot designs and things like that. It will be a game changer for us for sure. Well, think about what Dave was chatting about earlier with the GIS side. He said smart cities, but being able to tie in your um, your uh, space maker to to account for existing conditions with GIS information, and it's automatically accounting for where you can build, what you can build, how you can build. That feeds back into the whole, whole design process, and then you take it a step further with with the actual design, right? The the engineering output. Uh, um, the grading optimization, as they're dubbing it. If we're going to get into this conversation, sexy. this podcast is going to be a long one, bro. <laughs> this is <laughs> so. I mean, I, I I think with smart cities, and as you're saying, Joey, it should go. All of that should go into the design itself. Once we get design automation in that sense, even as we have it now, I think where we're able to enter certain parameters, certain things, right, certain little tidbits of information. Shoot, let's start automating that. So, hey. You want to start with InfoWorks and you know the general plots of land that you want to look at, right? Or let's not even say InfoWorks. Let's just say whatever it is that you're going to use. You want to look at these different sites. Well, okay, let's look at the demographics, demographics and psychographics of this site. Okay, from there, 
let's look at the overlay of your site. Let's look at how the space is used. What, how many employees are you looking to have? What are you looking to do? And then you start getting into the code compliance and everything that really gets going to automate a lot of the processes that you would recognize as pain points throughout that entire construction process. So Dude, there's a company in there, England whoo. doing this. We've, we've actually had this conversation. We've gone off on this tangent and they wanted to come on the podcast. I guess the hours didn't line, timing didn't line just yet, but we'll get them on. Uh, where they're already accounting for psychographics and demographics, existing site conditions, they've got a, a wealth because they're you know light years ahead in the GIS space and the BIM space where they've captured asset information across I mean, that's multiple setting your sites. owners up for success at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. So being able to uh, my my background, my degree was in GIS. Uh, being able to um, go back and look at a site and help a retail store plan where they're going to be. That's simple GIS, but you tie in things like uh, psychographics and people's buying patterns, you know, this is stuff Target does, right? Before they put in locations, they figure out who's buying what, what ads to run, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you give that kind of level of information to um, the construction industry, or I guess, you know, owners in the owners to use in the construction space where they're being able to tie into GIS information where, hey, look, actually, this is less costly because we don't have to d design uh, or widen the road out here like the city wants because we've actually accounted for it. And this is this one's already widened or or, hey, look, we don't have like it allows you to analyze all these different scenarios and analysis yes. for cost and you want to get us your, that next goal step. is to get here this parking lot can only you know support this much you have this much space to you know evolve over time to grow we, or you're limited in this sense and you know if we could get that dude it would be awesome it would, we, it would we've, start we've been chatting we've been chatting about this a long time i want to hear from rob rob what's your thoughts on on this space and how it feeds into kind of wh where you guys are going as a company and what your thoughts are as an individual on the, the expert elite side. Yeah. So uh, I guess my first thought going back to the GIS data, you know, if you think about our entire country, we have infrastructure under the ground that's over a hundred years old all over the place. You know, how do you effectively accurately map that? I mean, you got ground penetrating radar and other things, but it, it's, it's not efficient and you can't no, have a GIS no, database like a of the entire type of thing, dude. I've, yeah. I've worked with that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, if somebody figures out a way to do that, they will be a multimillionaire, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm waiting for those x-ray machines and the GPR that can tell you exactly what's underground or what's in this wall. Well, yeah. The issue is a lot of places don't eat. So those places don't have uh, formalized systems with their assets uh, recorded in the, the, the geoposition. I've worked at, in, in the survey industry and uh, specifically Buffalo, Texas. Uh, it's a podunk area. Nobody knows anything about it. It doesn't, barely shows up on a map. But all of the data of where the pipes are is in this guy's head. You go out there and he's like, yeah, it's right about here. Yeah. And he points out of the ground. He's like, yeah. But we don't know that data. It's in somebody's yeah. head. So and, to touch on what you're saying, yeah. And what's kind of sad here. about it is even designs and constructions that are happening today – are still not documented. So what's going to happen 100 years from now? You know, the stuff that's going in today, you're still not going to have a true as-built document of that that infrastructure. So garbage somebody developed a system to track all that. I mean, that would be awesome. It would. It really let's would. Let's get on it, Dave. Dude, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I think I think with that push to smart cities that we're seeing, I think it may kind of help us integrate towards that side, you know, really focusing these cities on 
you know, these please planning boards on, okay, if we put another development here, if we put an apartment building here, again, how is this going to affect us as we as we continue to grow? Would this be better as an industrial space? Would this be better as a residential, commercial? Like start analyzing this, but also, as you guys are saying, um, recognizing the <clears throat> the actual like well usage of that space and then kind of going into the as-built condition so taking of course the demographic psychographics all of that but let's say even with data management if we can take these cities have these cities and and we know so <laughs> dude one thing i i have explored recently was that model builder in infraworks right and in some areas you draw your kind of space and it, it will build you a modeler and i noticed that it comes up with the buildings if if it, if we could take a system like that that would give me the full site how it is the exact topo features all of the you know vegetation things like that the existing piping conditions the piping networks and actually tie it into the the BIM space, like the actual, you know, what, where this building is, what has happened to it, how has it changed, where are these connections moves, what has been added. If we can take that and let's say start with um, with a type of building or a type of model, right? Man, that's insane to me. If we can take this this BIM space, this BIM model, and it doesn't let's let's even say it's an IFC. It doesn't have to be the smartest thing out there. It doesn't have to take all of the information but if you know where the important stuff is let's say the build the actual foundation the connections are made you know if we have any big like let's say we have an elevator pit or we have a safe or anything like that just knowing these you know thickened slabs or whatever details that you may need to know about this property when you get into it is is only going to help set everyone up I mean, even the cities, again, with planning, going back and knowing what they have, knowing these older buildings, we see yeah. a lot like Portland, right? I mean, Portland, Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, you name it. You, you'll drive around and see these old building, Pittsburgh. You'll see these old buildings that some of them are inhabited, right? They're just they're just taking up space. And some of these other ones where they've kind of converted them to, you know, a working space, but they're struggling in these buildings. And for me... It seems like when when the cities tear down this this building and, you know, they, they put this other building up and they think this is going to do great for this space and then it fails. Right. Or you, you'll see a, a city spend a bunch of money on overpasses so, and infrastructure that falls on its face. And then you end up the overpasses are sitting there with no connection being made. Right. It's just it, it's crazy that the cities don't have um, this this kind of function or form of where they can look at everything and analyze that information, you know, to really make uh, those best decisions. Pretty big uh, undertaking it is, but in the ideal world, man, that would be awesome to do that. Um, <laughs> and and a, a, a kind of a ironic story that somewhat relates to that is my background, the Roman theater that's in Volterra, Italy. They actually uh, probably 60 years ago, it was a landfill. So they put trash in there, filled it in, and then they actually put soccer fields on top of it. And there was this one little old lady in the town of Volterra that if she would have passed away, it would have been lost forever. She told somebody important about it and said, hey, there used to be a Roman theater there. And then archaeologists came in and uncovered it and, and all that. The rest was history. But that was their documentation was that yeah. old lady's brain that 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 historic 
thing was there, you know? Yep. Yep. You That's imagine, crazy. If you guys think about how much history has been lost to us just because we don't know about it. The things that we don't know about are insane. Well, well so there's, uh, I follow a lot of weird conspiracy theories, not like political related, but like uh, human evolution related. Uh, no ancient aliens or anything like that. But like, uh, so there is, uh, there, there was this explorer in the, you know, that came from Spain, went down the Amazon, saw uh, metropolitan cities. And so there were all these people went back to Spain. They were like, and they sent out a, a crew uh, maybe a hundred years later. And there was no cities. It was all completely overgrown. And they're like, Oh my God, there's, there's nothing here. This is, you know, they lied, blah, blah, blah. And now we're flying it with LIDAR. And we're realizing that people were on the, the South American content continent thousands of years then before we thought, all because uh, we're flying it with LIDAR and we're actually un, undiscovered, we're discovering, unearthing these uh, these ancient cities. But it's stuff that if the technology wasn't around, it wasn't somebody that just, you know, that said it in the original account, we would have never known because the guy that went 100 years later was like, oh, there's nothing here. This guy lied. Yeah. Did you guys ever see the uh, show? I think it's on the History Channel. Um, uh, Buried Secrets of World War II, I think it's called. Actually, an ex-autodesker is kind of the, the lead co-host of that show. Yeah, uh, I think I, I think it was Buried Secrets or maybe it was one of the other ones. Maybe I'll have to I think check it was that out. Secrets. Yeah, I'll have they, to check it out. I've tried. I've tried like watching so many National Geographic shows lately on, you know, buried civilizations and well, they say uh, what is it, emptying the ocean, they, and they make this like a uh, kind of rendering graphic of emptying the ocean and seeing different civilizations that sank or something, and I just I can't. Uh, I don't know. The animation throws me off. I want to see the real stuff. You know what I mean? I, I think unearthing things like. In Italy, I think the more that we can get with our history and see what's there and, again, kind of see, you know, the aqueducts and things. There's so much in our history that has inspired the, the things that we do now, right? And I think the more that we know, the more that we find from it, the better decisions, again, that we can make moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where this uh, show, it, it, it kind of revolves around that kind of stuff. You know, they, they go over the Germany with you know, remote sensing technologies like uh, UAV LIDAR, ground penetrating radar, all, all that kind of stuff. And they analyze like troop movements and underground bunkers and like protection cool. barriers. And they scan it all and then strip the vegetation off and, and analyze the data. And it, it's really intriguing. Just uh, I think it's like maybe uh, six, six episodes, six hours total to watch them all. But it's pretty, pretty interesting. So the, yeah, the National yeah. Geographic and the buried secret stuff, I really like watching primarily because I recognize half the technology, whether it's a Pharaoh or yeah. Topcon or an EV Sense fly or something like that. I'm like, hey, I know what that is, man. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, it's just it's relatable. It's it's yeah. it's cool and it's it's fun to learn about like, oh man, like they did this like back then. Like they, you know, uh, why were they flank and you know dig a dig a trench here? You know, whatever. You get to dive into that stuff and it's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we now have this technology in our pocket, right? The new oh, you got the 12, with the LiDAR man. sensor. There it is, dude. Hey, hey, Look so I'll ask you. <laughs> man, yeah, I get all piped up when I see that. Um, I I told Joey the other day that I was kind of holding off because I heard they have battery issues. Are you experiencing any, like, battery no, issues with no. that? No. No. I, no. So how's I, the LiDAR? 
Uh, LiDAR is, I mean, it, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a commercial device. I get it. It's a consumer-grade sensor, low cost that you carry around in your pocket. I mean, it's like the I haven't real sense or something. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of testing with it. I just got it um, about a week ago. But uh, there, there's people posting things on social media that look pretty impressive. So I definitely want to yeah. dive into it a little more. Check all it right, out. All right, all right. I am a. Uh... I was an iPhone person and then my wife destroyed like 12 iPhones in like a year. I was getting her new phone every month. It gets costly. Um, and then I was like, damn it, I'm, I'm swearing off iPhones. And I went to BlackBerry and then I went to Android. Um, and in that, I haven't looked back. But now with this new LiDAR sensor that they've got, I'm I'm on the fence, man. I could, I could buy off in this ecosystem. If it wasn't for the whole BIM 360, you know um, – wanting to lean more towards uh, Android than iOS. Yeah, I know. That's the thing that sucks about it. I'm like, man, I I really loved when I was able to connect with layout and things like that with the Apple products. And I mean, I can still get into docs, right? And Steve, I'm still going to Yeah, but you can't do your layout workflows. No, dude. That's a pain in the butt. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I know that the new iPads have the LiDAR data already. And uh, yeah, the 12 got it. So I'm, I'm interested to, I really want to get it. I really I want to get it. It's a fun looking tool, man. I want it, dude. Well, I can't I'd wait to integrate that with the VR. You know, Joey, you and I were oh, talking yeah. about that so, the other day, dude. They're they're making the AR glasses. They're integrating the AR glasses with it, dude. Uh, oh, yeah. Apple glasses for 500 bucks coming out in 2022. Have you, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, yeah. I saw a, a post, a uh, preview post about those coming out, so. Definitely intriguing. We, yeah. we we have done some AR and VR applications as well. So, you know, definitely try to stay up on that technology. This is so going to bring a guys... different change to DIY, man. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. DIY is going to go nuts when you introduce some AR, VR, MR what? with some glasses. Oh, bro, I'm going to become a mechanic. I'm going to become like a home specialist. You have no idea. Like, if Somebody's going to have this out, instruction in your yeah. headset and tell you what to do with your your AR, your MR, and it's going to be like, hey, you know, turn turn this wrench, you know, 32, uh, you know, whatever. It's it, it's going to – apart. This is yeah, the part you'll have a torque wrench, and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. This is going to be at my Pro Charger to my Jeep Gladiator. <laughs> that's the next evolution, man. That's, that's the Internet 2.0, bud. Yeah, man. I, I think as we get more into it, you know, right now they have AR on your cell phones. Let's say I'm walking through Fred Meyer or – Kroger's or Walmart or whatever, in some AR applications, it'll actually point you to things like it's in this yeah. aisle and it'll put bring up arrows for you to walk down. That's oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. so you guys remember, I thought it was the coolest thing ever when the Pontiac Grand Prix had a no projector. A yeah. No <laughs> longer a company, but that Pontiac Grand Sorry, Prix man. GT, man, or the GTP, it would show your speed on the windshield, right? It would, it had a little light and it would show your speedometer and all that kind of stuff on the windshield. And as you're driving, I felt like that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and that was back I, in the 19, late 1990s, I think, Yes, right? in the 90s, early, yes, dude. That's what I'm saying. Like, if we can start integrating yeah. some kind of that technology with the GPS, with Google that's Maps, just, Apple that's Maps. That's just the light on, in reverse on your on your dashboard. Oh, I know. I, your... I understand, but I'm saying, bro, like, if we can integrate that with you, some type you, of Google Maps. Our, our listeners have to understand that Dave, uh, no offense, brother, but you, uh, you're you're 
your choice of cars, man. Come on, dude. Oh, Pontiac Grand Prix. Oh, dude, back in Come the on, day, man. that was the oh, great no, car. It was like not. I was in high school, man. Coming out of high school, yes, the Grand, the GTP was a supercharged 3.8 liter V6. Maybe the those 3.8s were proven. Wow. <laughs> you had a Dodge Caliber SXT. Come on. <laughs> None it negative, negative. SXT. Hey, I had a Pontiac too coming out of high school. I had a oh, man. There you go. I Come mean, on, Pontiacs man. were a lot cooler. <laughs> Pontiacs were so cool, man. I, 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 you I, I the Firebird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got the Trans Am. You got the Firebird. The GTP series out of the Grand Prix, which I thought those things were so cool. The Solstice, the Pontiac Solstice, that yeah, was a cool. Yeah, the uh, Saturn Sky. I've got a friend that has a red line Saturn Sky, oh, and he's cool. going through his midlife crisis right now, racing that thing around, the <laughs> racing Mazdas. I would still do that. I'm yeah. not in a midlife crisis, but I would definitely still well, do that. So uh, he was not a shaped guy like me, but now he's um, he joined an American Ninja Warrior gym, got super fit, and uh, he races. Uh, I mean, I won't call it midlife crisis, but he found himself. I'll put it that way. And he races these uh, uh, Saturn Sky Redlines. Uh, you know, beautiful. They're the Pontiac. They're the same same exact car as the Pontiac Solstice. Same yeah. chassis, same everything. And he races those like, now. It was like the Chrysler came out with, uh, gosh, what was that? Um, they, they all came out with that small kind of two-door sportster looking car. And, it, I mean, it was a cool car, right? I, yeah, it was uh, Plymouth Duster and Chrysler. What was the Chrysler one? I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, dude. It, it was a cool kind of car, but it was, you know. Yeah, I Google that. Plymouth Duster and the because Chrysler and Plymouth were kind of the same. They were the same. Sister yes, companies. They were. Yeah. yes, they were. I remember the old Plymouth Duster. I'm just trying to figure out. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called now. But, yeah, dude, I mean, I I, lo- I used to get so into cars. I loved cars. And, and I think about the technology as it begins to kind of spread, right? The AR, VR, MR. We'll use overlays a lot of times and things like that. Man, I tell you, though, I I really cannot even begin to if I had a a dollar or let's say even a penny for the amount of times I've gotten lost trying to use my GPS because it's it looks like it's this turn, but it really wasn't that turn because it didn't zoom in yet and tell me that it was that one or I missed it because it again, it didn't zoom in. And I kept driving because I thought I had. No, dude, if you get that integrated into my car, not on the radio Thank you. I don't want to look down and over. I'd rather just look straight and see in my peripheral vision that it has a big ass arrow pointing this way. I know which way I got to go. Right. Just do the self-driving, the the autonomous vehicles at that point. But I just which which were inevitable. I got to drive, man. This is like iRobot, bro. I mean, this is like iRobot. Am I going to be Will Smith driving in this car and this this other car? You are no Will Smith, man. (laughs) I am not a Will Smith. No, I am not. You're right. but but, uh, but 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 to that end though um the the so you have your wife has the same minivan my wife has which if you have kids young kids like me it's your 90 percent vehicle time you, spend, awesome. you can fold down the seats all flat i'm laughing but i i am sold on the van i, bro, I after my kids leave i'm keeping the van like i was like wait a minute we can 
I've used this thing as a truck. I've put plywood in here. I've used PVC. I put everything in there. And then I'm thinking like, this thing has a plug-in in the back. I'm going camping in this thing. Wagon, like, wagon. Tires on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but so you have the Chrysler version. We have the Dodge, Dodge version. Yeah. Um, the, you have the same, I think it's the same year, the same GPS system, everything. Uh, so just want to go back to the GPS side of it. You know, it'd be great to have it on the screen. But before I ask you this question, I got to ask you another question. How often are you, do you find yourself relying on that GPS where you would be lost? You'd be like, oh shit, I, I've been here a million times, but I don't remember which street it's on and what corner it's on. So you need You're that right. GPS to get you there. You're right. All, All right. the time. All yep. the time. So let me ask you the second question of this. Uh, you probably are like me and you're not paying for the upgrade fee because it's a stupid freaking Garmin GPS system and you got to pay for a damn new upgrade every year, like a hundred dollars to, to upgrade your, your GPS on your, on your Dodge or Chrysler GPS system to get the latest one. How often have you seen that the GPS on, or do you always use GPS on your phone? I guess you should preface. I always uh, use GPS on my phone, but all right. no. I'm not paying for any GPS. The this is Google is Maps or Apple Maps. And and we've run into a lot of like, well, all right. So I use the GPS on my on my car. And so all right. So it let works. me preface this by saying, um, I uh, my wife's pregnant. She's you know we're due literally any any day now. Uh, next Wednesday is the delivery date. And um, so we we drive to the hospital, which is 30 minutes away. It's West Penn Hospital. So we drive down there time ourselves we're using the car gps and it's like a 45 minute drive it's like where the hell is this thing taking us it's turns and back turns and all stuff yeah i turn on my my phone gps and it's a totally different thing and it just takes me you know it's only a 28 minute drive at that yeah. point excuse me yeah. 17 minutes but at what point in time this gps becomes outdated so having that oh, ability you're to, right to integrate with your car, you're relying on your car still at that point in time. You've got to yeah, figure out you'd have to pull to that. Google Maps. It, yeah, that's what that's I was getting. It, dude. A long way around, but I was getting you're there. You're right. You're completely right, though. You're completely right. I don't want to put in a dang CD and try to update all this crap to my GPS app. No, that's yeah. definitely true. No, dude, we have to. We have. I mean, and and that that also scares me though. Connected cars. If you're connecting to a network, we're gonna go Terminator and iRobot. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. stuff gets really weird. You start getting really anxiety have, when you're driving your car. Have like, you guys it, used the um, the Waze application? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. It's all crowdsourced, so you know you know where cops are, you know where the traffic is, all yeah, that kind of stuff. Google owned too, though Waze. Yeah, yeah. I think it, some of that stuff is fed into uh, Google Maps, I believe. Yep, I love Waze. I, I've used it quite often. I found <laughs> I found out about that up when I was driving through Seattle. Because uh, Seattle, if any of you uh, have driven through Seattle, you, you'll know if nobody has, don't want to drive through Seattle. <laughs> it is insane. You wouldn't walk through Seattle. Trust me, just walk or get a bike. Uh, a bike would be beneficial. But <laughs> just a pogo stick through Seattle faster than you can drive through. Seattle. I get, it he is, is not joking. It Uphill. is. You could probably Speaking of bikes, I, I heard I was supposed to watch a video from you guys riding bikes somewhere in Vegas, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, man. I, uh, I just want to say I won that battle. Down on the bike. That's what happened. <laughs> I just want to say I won that battle. Dave, uh, 
Dave, Dave took the short bike and uh, got screwed a little bit, but uh, I won. But he smoked me. He was doing like three push-ups in the time that it took me to do one in the push-up competition. So we're going to call it a draw uh, for the year. But that was AU last year, and I, I want to get back to that, man. I, I miss the in-person. What were your big takeaways from AU this year? This is a good segue to, to wrap up, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I thought it was – as good as it could have been being virtual. I mean, it's definitely missing all the in-person interaction, the the networking, you know, interacting with 10,000 of your best friends out there in Vegas and, you know, just the whole atmosphere of AU in person. But, uh, you know, um, so I, I thought Autodesk did a really good job with the virtual side of it, um, but it, it doesn't take the place of the in-person event by any means. Yeah, I, this wasn't a flack on Autodesk by any means, but I, I had a little puff piece I wrote about like AU and stuff, and it was just like it, it's not the same. It doesn't feel like the same, but it literally it was we were doing the best we could with what we had. AU online, Autodesk delivered. It was great. The content was great. Seven hundred plus classes, a hundred thousand plus attended. I mean, that's a that's that's worth noting. I'm going to be watching online content for the next you know six months. It's going to be great. Classes yeah. I had signed up for were I had missed, but I don't know if you had gotten to fully attend all the ones you signed up for. No, no, I didn't get to attend all of them yet. Um, I, I hope to uh, plan to watch them. Um, you, you know, I think uh, a, a lot of my staff, like across the company, were like, "Hey, I joined this class, and they're not really showing me anything because they joined the live Q and A and didn't realize you were supposed <laughs> to watch the so watch oh. the class before yeah. you went to the Q and A." I did with the Revit Inventor class. Yeah. I was like, I signed up for this class, and I pop in, and this is the Q&A, not the live class. Like, so <laughs> where's the live class? Where do I see the class? It, yeah. I mean, dude, I, I thought it was awesome, but at the same time, I, to your point there, Joe, I, I felt distracted. Like, I still had other things to do. You know, I was still yeah. doing my job, and, yeah. and I was kind of half paying attention. Now, there were some that I was really interested in, and you'll try to focus – but then an email comes in or somebody calls you and you're like, oh, crap. OK, OK. Well, the, I got the wife I got comes downstairs and asks you a question. Yeah, or the kids are stomping over stair or over overhead and the five year old comes downstairs and she wants your attention. <laughs> you know, so, being able to concentrate like when you're in that when you're in Vegas, when you're in the class, you're able to kind of concentrate, take notes, you know, and 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 dive so, into that. My, my Wi-Fi sucks in Vegas. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's T-Mobile. Wi-Fi sucks in Vegas. My phone server sucks in Vegas. Uh, the Wi-Fi, they give you a, um, uh, a convention center Wi-Fi to jump on. That sucks. You know, you got 10,000 people on the same Wi-Fi. It's not great. So I was captive. I was very captive in Vegas. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm like entrenched with the Amy Marks, DFMA, pre-industrial, you know, prefabrication, industrialized uh, construction talks because, you know, I live for, I live for data. I love data and I love being able to put that to the supply chain. Um, but that said, like I missed, you know, most of those because again, I'm, I'm beholden to people coming downstairs or, or, you know, I'm super responsive to my emails and it's, it's a, a pet peeve, but also yet something I'm proud of uh, that I answer emails, you know, like that. Uh, but a gentleman that you and I are friends with that uh, we have our, um, uh, you know, local meetings with and we, you know, or drinks or beers, all that fun stuff. 
um, he was telling me the same thing. Is like his his wife came downstairs, or came came into his space rather, and he's supposed to be watching a class. And um, you know the class that he was been looking forward to. This is the primary class he caught ten minutes of. So, yep. but the benefit to all this being online, and it's one thing that we haven't really touched on, is they're all recorded. Everything is recorded. Yes, you can ask questions, but who cares? You know, at, at the level we're at, you know, not saying we're above anybody, but we know the people that we need to chat with. If we have questions about this, we know who to call, go to with our questions. So, but for everybody else, they, they don't know who maybe to ask their questions. So I see a cat on your head, by the way, dude. <laughs> Uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was trying not to. But, I was trying to mute. This dude wants attention. We got a we got a kitten, and he like. Twelve weeks, he, man. He, yeah, oh yeah. He uh, his thing is you can hear him purring right now. He loves to cuddle and be held, and he loves. He's like a parrot. He has to walk on my shoulders or on my back, and then he lays down, and then he purrs and meows at me to kind of pet him. <laughs> Anytime yeah. he sees me working, but, if I'm standing up, he will climb up my back and get on my shoulders. But if I'm sitting down, it's kind of nicer in that sense. I don't have the claws in my back. That's good, <laughs> man. No, no uh, kneading in your in your. In your back. <laughs> yeah. But but um, so I guess just touch back on that real quick. The the ability to kind of go back and look at the content later on because. Yeah, people come down, they bother you, or doesn't matter how how well prepared you are, and how much uh, time you've allotted, and you've told enough people, you you got your out of office reply. A fire drill is still a fire drill. If that fire drill comes in, if the owner of the company wants to get at you, you're gonna make yourself available. Now in Vegas, for me at least, um, you know my you know i think i had at&t at the time maybe not t-mobile but i didn't have great service so no matter what i was not i was not available unless i went to a specific designated spot where i had great service um so i was i was entrenched i was i was a captive audience what about you even during the breaks i was i was in i was captivated because they'd bring out buffets of awesome food and (laughs) coffee and tea Uh, and i'm like whoa wait a minute the buffets or the dj with the uh the fog lights the the fog going and the strobe lights oh yeah oh yeah Uh, as you go into the session keynote oh i love that man that's fun you made a smoothie by riding a bike you rode your bike, and as you rode the bike, it, it you know, it blended your smoothie together. You picked your ingredients and then did it, and I'm like, this so, is awesome. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> so, Rob, uh, my question to you is, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And two, uh, what are your thoughts on where it's going to be next year, if it's going to be in Vegas, or have they specified? Yeah, so I thought, you know, this year was going to be the last year in Vegas, um, which, COVID. You know, <laughs> yep. So maybe next year will be, but you know, I heard Nashville, New Orleans, um, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, a lot of different locations that it possibly could be. So yeah, I think wherever it is, I think we'll all be happy to get together in person for sure. Yeah, that's definitely um, true. Yeah, for for me though, in the in the class, like I I was always tapped into Wi-Fi on my laptop or phone answering emails because with as much staff as I support, I always got to be tuned in and connected um you know so unfortunately you know you so, gotta kind of so, half stay in the office but half in the class so. <laughs> so so let's put a pin in that for a second uh just to specify here so you said earlier uh cec 25 offices uh th- over a thousand staff and your title is you are the corporate cad manager for all those staff so you are supporting 
essentially the whole company in those yeah. 80 applications or in a select few of those 80 applications? Uh, no, I, I support in most of those applications. Um, so yeah, we have 650 civil 3D users across the company. Wow. And as of right now, I'm kind of the only guy that, that does that in my role. I'm trying to work on getting some assistance, but. Uh, well, you have other CAD managers I've noticed at CEC. We do. I've seen a few, but but is that specifically AutoCAD or is that civil focused? Uh, it's both, it's both. Yeah, so we, we try to put a CAD lead in each one of our locations. Um, so they, they try to be the first line of defense, you know, the first person people go to with Q&A. Uh, but ultimately it kind of comes up the chain to me to implement standards or styles or workflows or, you know, workflow processes or how this software talks to this software, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. As Dave and I chat about this in Daniel every episode, it's less about the picks and clicks and the, uh, app in the siloed applications. It's more about how this software hands over to the next application. So I imagine you're doing quite a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like I, I mentioned earlier in this in this recording, like I'm not the expert in all 80 of those softwares, but I at least know who to talk to in our company or who to point people to to, to get the answer. Trades, man. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, an so answer it's not, in itself. You know, it's sometimes just you know putting two people together that need to be put together to accomplish a task. You know, and sometimes that's all it is. Dave and I chat about this a lot, man. We are Dave. Well, Dave, you're a master of Revit, so you master in something. Yeah, Me, I'm the jack. I, mean, I guess <laughs> I'm the jack of all trades. I think the only thing I'm mastering is BIM 360, although that goes through a million iterations. So we'll see how that that plays in the future. But um, Dave and I use Civil 3D. We use Revit. We use Inforex. We use Bluebeam. We use. I mean, under the sun, we use it all. You name it, yeah. But yeah. It's, you, it's, you guys it's, are probably up there 80 applications too. I'm sure. <laughs> You know, if I could expand it, you know what I mean? So personal use, I've, I've been expanding it with the free applications and more that I can, you know, just learn myself. Joe turned me on to Tinkercad the other day, which, yeah. of course, Great. is an kids, Autodesk man. product. Yeah, but Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. yeah. Seven so, She's seven, damn it. Seven, not eight. <laughs> yeah, seven, dude. Eight. Slow down. Slow down. <laughs> no, I was Stop aging. I didn't – I've never heard of Tinkercad before. I've actually – so my kids, I've been teaching them a little bit of Formit. Because my like my son, he he gets into video games. He loves it. Minecraft, any building games like world building. The dude just annihilated my storage on my PlayStation. And he would he would build these large elaborate worlds. He'd just build a statue of Iron Man. And I'm like, all right, dude, let's go into Formit and let's see what you want to do. In the first few hours that I taught him how to use Formit, he had like drawn a factory and then he drew a robot. And I'm like, well, what's your what is this? And he's like, oh, that's your fa- that's my factory. And I'm like, what's your factory making? He's like, oh, more robots. This is going to be the big robot, and these are going to be the little robots that are going to listen to the big robot. And I'm like, oh, okay, buddy. All right. That's you know, fitting and- with your big robot in the background and the little king robot on the shoulder <laughs> of the big robot, no, by yeah, the way. Yeah. If, I, if yeah. I gave me Minecraft, he'd probably not check back into reality. That dude would be gone. He'd be these like, kids are going to take over the world, man. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. They're like, so technologically advanced. Like my, my daughter, I don't know if you could see this, but she made this yeah. a few years ago in elementary school in Autodesk Inventor and then 3D printed it. Oh, that's, that is awesome. Yes. So so that's what brought up the whole Tinkercad part was my daughter, she'll be eight in February. So uh, my kids are all, uh, are all holiday babies. My daughter is Super Bowl Sunday. 
my son is uh, New Year's Eve and hope, you know, fingers crossed this one will be Thanksgiving or Black Friday <laughs> or Cyber Monday so I can check that box. But, but that said, my daughter was really interested in, in 3D printing. So, I mean, that's perfect. Like, so I was going to teach her like Fusion 360. Is your, was your kid using Fusion? Uh, yeah, I think they taught her Fusion, Inventor, Basic AutoCAD. Um, and my son, when he, he was in the Basic AutoCAD class, he, he came home and was all, all proud. He's like, hey, I'm learning what you do. So I was like, here, let me show you how to draw a 3D Pac-Man. So he went in the next day and showed his teacher how to draw Pac-Man in 3D. The teacher had no idea how to do this. And he's like, where'd you learn this? He's like, my dad showed me. <laughs> he's a corporate cat manager for the largest, you know, civil environmental company in Pittsburgh. That's Sorry. Awesome. That's so great. I, I love that they're pushing it into more of the education these days. Like the sooner that we can get them involved with it and get them passionate about it. And, and that's how well, we're going to get it to push the technology further. So, so, so do you have a 3D printer? I do not, no. Oh, they actually have on. one at, at our one. school. I want one, yeah. yeah. I've been trying to figure out a way why we need one at CEC so I can have them. <laughs> well, if you just paper. save two months on your, your beer bill, man, you'll, you'll have a 3D printer. Joe, right? I'm going to have to get that CNC <laughs> that you sent me the other day, man. Oh, yeah. That was, that was so, cool. so uh, my daughter, she wants to get 3D printing, but me, I want to get into CNC. Um, so I'm going to do a DIY CNC, but I found this really cheap CNC for wood engraving. I was going to replace the engraver with a, and, and, and maybe the, uh, the, the components to kind of stabilize with it, but a uh, low cost trim router essentially to kind of just do wood. But I want to do another step up with the Raspberry Pi system and build a, um, uh, you know, full metal CNC or something like that. See, what, see how that I plays. Do a Aluminum. Plastic one. That's what I, I do. So I, I've been, you know, building this AR 10 here, this 308. And as I'm doing this, I want to do more builds, but I'm realizing what parts of it are a pain in the ass. And I got to talk to a couple different people, a couple of armorers near me, and they told me they're they're 3D printing like molds. Yeah. They're 3D printing just cutting plastic so my gas block and pushing my gas line in. That was a pain in the ass to try and take this gas we, block, we, push the – it's we nuts, We talk dude. about some of that offline because I'm into that stuff too. Oh, yeah, dude. Definitely. Hashtag David yeah. is a hippie with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> building them man it, it's it's a lot of fun you know we talk about it's like legos for adults you know it, it's it's a it's a lot of fun putting these things together but you start again kind of when you recognize the pain points then you're like man if i had a 3d printer i'd cut a damn mold for this thing and i could set it right in here and then just tap 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 i'm good to go and that's how you start you know just pushing the industry forward you, you and I have chatted about this offline quite a bit, but we're going to get a 3D printer, a CNC machine online, our own scan technology, <laughs> and we're going to build our own damn apps to integrate just about everything. Yeah. This is like the the brewing with BIM. This is where we're going to push through. We'll see what happens. We're going to be too well, drunk to ever make this happen, but damn it, we're going to try. Oh, real, real quick. I think it was at Autodesk University, maybe – couple years ago but they were talking about 3d printing technology on the international yeah. space station where you have to print in zero gravity which is a challenge in itself but if they needed a part or a wrench or something they could just send it from nasa up to the space station print it and there you go they have it so this is the basis for elon musk he wants to 3d print on mars 
Autodesk, I don't, I'm sure you guys follow this, but so in, in Oregon, there was the inventor team for Autodesk forever. Um, and, and, and now that team has, they're doing a lot of the different things. They're pushing Fusion 360, all that sort of stuff. But there was a big emphasis on the Ember uh, system. Ember it was the um, platform language and the Spark was the, or maybe, maybe I'm getting this wrong, Amber was the 3D printer and Spark was the language. Don't quote us on <laughs> shit, guys. This is, I'm three beers in. I had two 11%. Uh, I want my bullet, and I've done. I've, I'm drinking my second beer, which I'm I'm catching up to you guys at yeah. your first one. But, so. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm too deep on the the trogues, and I'm uh, just about finished with this hazy Jane. Oh, um, but but uh, so Autodesk has this. Uh, 3D printing technology. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm going to butcher it. It's either Spark or Amber. It's one of them. One is the 3D printer. One is the th 3D printing language. Have you dove into any of that stuff? Because that's what they're trying to push for the the next you know next planet printing shit. Yeah. So I, a couple of years ago, I used an Autodesk application. I forget the exact name of it. I'll have to look it up. But we had a uh, we do landfill designs as well. So like this client of ours, the COO for this big landfill company, contacted me. He wanted a 3D model of his landfill. So I did it all in Infoworks, real nice and neat. I sent him so uploaded. Weird to thing to watch your 3D 3D model of, but but okay. Yeah. So, so I, I sent it to him electronically that he could move it around on 3D orbit and zoom in. He's like, this is good, but I want something I could set on my desk. Solid. Yeah. Yep. So we started looking, and, and this was like two foot by three foot, so large format 3D printing. So I had to search all over the country, finally found a company in Minnesota to print this for us, printed it, and gave it to him. He freaking loved it. And then he's like, hey, can we color code each one of the phases of the landfill and print it separately so I could put it together each phase, like 16 phases of the landfill on his desk? I'm like, yeah, we could do that. If you're going to pay for it, we'll do it. Yeah. So he just wanted that physical model, even though Dude. we had all this digital technology at our fingertips. Well, so, you know, some people are like that, though. They have to I mean, they're you know, when we when we think about the different types of people and how they learn, like right, learning styles in itself, um, some people have to touch things and and they're just like that. And I think the more that we can, you know, adapt that technology even with architects, uh, landscape architects and architecture in general, you'll see them start start to design and make these these little scale models of how everything will be to introduce to the owner i dude i i think that's uh, that's awesome and especially when we can 3d print it on the site instead of trying to build it out of popsicle sticks and you know elmer's glue or <laughs> whatever it is there's an architect in seattle who's a client of ours that uh we go visit quite a bit and they have a map of the city that's been 3d printed and they add their own buildings to it every time. And they're specifically color coded, which buildings are theirs. And it's pretty remarkable to see, obviously it's a, a statement piece to see which buildings are theirs. But I think um, that would be a key in learning too, though, right? Yeah. We see a lot in the medical facility, like the, the yeah, medical yeah. environment, so, when you start breaking down and color coding things, let's start thinking about how so, we can, break it down and color code buildings too. So we, we've made this transition to digital construction. Um, Rob, you're a civil 3d user Infoworks, all that sort of stuff. I imagine you guys for the most part have gotten away from uh, paper plan sets. Maybe you guys use Bluebeam, Bim 360, doesn't matter. 
just a digital representation of that design set. Getting away from the 3D representation, there, Dave, to your point, there are still always those people that just have to touch, feel, sense, that kind of component, like the owner that you had just mentioned for that landfill. Um, do you see digital construction? This is a Rob, question to you, obviously. Uh, do you see that that move to digital construction kind of being a burden for those people that have to touch, feel, sense that that type of material, or do you think that it's just an added layer of something for them to to interpret? Yeah, so I, I guess it ultimately depends on that individual. You know, um, some people adapt to it better than others. Some people are kind of stuck in their ways and old school, and they they don't want their resistance to change. So it all depends on that individual, but we definitely have seen the trend to less paper and more digital. Uh, so that's, I, I would say if I had to guess over the last 10 years, we're probably 15 to 20% of what we were 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I had a conversation earlier, just kind of start to wrap up process, but I had a conversation earlier with a, a young lady who, I say young, she's older than me, but uh, young in the sense that she's still young. Um, who had come from the blueprint side of the business and now she's in the digital space and she's kind of kind of navigating that transition and seeing people that who she knew in the blueprint space actually don't really care about blueprints and we're talking now about digital transformation there seems to be this big shift and it's not just covid driven it was pre-covid uh we, you call it bam you call it sim whatever you want but the the technology is has kind of forced us into this kind of funnel for uh, the digital, less tangible kind of aspect where we get the the real-time updates, all that fun stuff, um, you know, all the perks and benefits of that. But we also lose the, the I can actually draw on this and mark up on it kind of aspect. Do you see your own company following in line with that? Yeah, yeah, we do. We, we do use Bluebeam a lot. Um, you know, a lot of the project managers have, have, are now starting to review and mark up plan sets in Bluebeam. So we're definitely getting away from the, the physical hard copy paper version of the plan sets throughout the whole, you know, life cycle of a project. E even clients, you know, we'll do Bluebeam studio sessions with clients or contractors or architects and collaborate through Bluebeam studio on, you know, on a conference call, you know, in the studio session. That's awesome. I don't know if you know this, but Dave here is one of the foremost Blue Meme experts in the country. Uh, I just want to toot your horn a little bit. Dave speaks nice. at all the XCon. Uh, toot toot. Speaks at all the <laughs> XCon, uh, which XCon is a bad name because it sounds yeah. like you're an ex-convict. I'm an ex-convict. No, <laughs> it's the extreme so, conference. Yeah, yeah extreme con he speaks at the extreme conference. Like Dave is a, a formal person on the Bluebeam side of things. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and he's a, been a big proponent for years of, of the Bluebeam Studio side of things. I was one of the right. first to adopt in, in our company, I think, for the support and stuff uh, side of things. And we were one of the first uh, platinum partners. But Dave, man, like the stuff that you do with Bluebeam is remarkable. And looking at what customers, especially like CEC, you guys are – uh, probably pushing the boundaries, you know, I imagine on, on this sort of stuff, especially using uh, studio, um, seeing what people are doing with, with digital documentation. It's, it, it's blowing my mind that um, the, the, the reliance on plan sets, paper plan sets 
it, it's gone out the window. This is what I used oh, yeah. to work yeah. from as a paper plan set, but within 10 years, it's gone. It's done. It's just an interesting mindset, I think, though, when we when we kind of look at that, though, the, the PDF itself, you know, what information we can extract from it. But then you start realizing there's um, parts of our industry that only use PDF. They're not connected to the, the design part of it, you know, the process, right? If we can actually take people into the design portion, of course, that's that's in my mind better because of the metadata that you can collect how you can interact with the design things like that but once it's a pdf <clears throat> you know and and again there's a portion of our industry that only works with the pdf format that's where it's again kind of pushing it forward the more we can interact with that information i, I think that right. has to do with size right like company size like i imagine so rob question to you on the cec side uh, are you guys primarily working off of PDFs or do you guys take into account the 3D documentation that goes along with it? I would say primarily PDFs. Um, you know, we're, we're about an 1,100 person company. I think we have around 700 seats of Bluebeam. Uh, so, oh, wow. you know, that just kind of shows you how invested we are with the digital reviewing and documentation yep. process. Um, so, yeah, yeah, the I think 3D, I, 3D side of things, not so much on the civil side. I can see that more on the architectural side for sure. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, so we want to, of course, see this transition over to the digital the digital review documentation kind of process, right? We, we of course, want to see that transition because I think that's definitely needed. Now, if I'm honest, I want to push past that. I want to push into where, of course, we can start interacting not with the design file because, excuse me, the beer's kicking in, but uh, not with the design file itself, but let's say a imitation or a copy of that design file, like with Bluebeam, right? It's it's great. And even with the with the 3D PDFs, that's really where I want to kind of push to. When, when you're printing this well, document, you're actually sending the metadata with it, right? We can interact it. So let's think of BIM 360 docs, right? When you click into the 2D view of it, I can click on a wall. I can click on an air handling unit. I can click on different things within that kind of, it's, it's almost like a 2D view of it, right? But it still has that 3D metadata. It's almost like a cut view. And I, I can still interact and, and pull data from that. That's really what I want to see. That's where I want to go when I actually send this document over, when the designer prints it. We don't want it to go over into a 2D flattened PDF. Now, yes, Bluebeam is awesome with its its vectorized information, but imagine if when we print that document, that 2D sheet, you could click on that AHU and, and know everything that goes into that air handling unit, what system it's involved with, you know, different things like that to pull from. Right. That's only going to benefit, I think, everybody kind of moving forward, whether they're they're doing takeoffs, they're they're doing design review, they're they're actually constructing it, whatever it is, it's going to help the more information that we can push with it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I love I love, you know, the, the PDFs and, and I, I love Bluebeam. I think it's awesome. Um, I, I just think that moving forward the way that we can utilize this data instead of again pushing it into the pdf you know joey said it's the the size of the company but 
I, I feel like, yes, it's the size of the company, but also with what data needs to be taken in, right? Nobody's going to jump into AutoCAD if they don't need it, right? If we can utilize this PDF and take all the information that we need, that's what we're going to do. Um, so we're, we're still seeing that, which, of course, with BIM 360, they can handle PDFs and tear it apart. So we're, we're still seeing that kind of, I guess, pushing forward. Um, but I, I want to see that model data start to become more than just these 2D sheets. I, I want to see it like it, not where you can manipulate. Well, that's hard it, right? on the civil side, right? Like yeah. that's not it's different on the civil side. We're not talking 3D entities with all the data driven in there. We're talking surfaces and there's tin. Yeah, well, yeah. Why? Yeah, I get that. But why there's, would there's be materials like, and stuff like that? But, why couldn't we take a measurement? to verify slope why couldn't we you know say okay uh, let, let let's make sure this drone or this drain let's say we have a uh, i can't you're think asking of what the right person that's collection. the guy you want to talk to well yeah no, i'm saying but let, let's yeah. make sure this collection here we're, let's say we're going to make a collection tank or i can't think of what it is a drain tile what have you yeah. let's make sure that everything is going down in this direction and, and this drain tile is going to be able to this to handle this slope <laughs> Yeah, definitely the underground uh, utilities and infrastructure, drainage, all that kind of stuff that we design. Yeah, definitely that in 3D that can show a lot of uh, things before you get out to construction, um, you know, interference checks and you can check the slopes and all that good stuff. Constructability and then the surface model and pavement and all that other stuff that we're going to design on site, you know. Pretty much civil engineers design everything outside of the building. So there, there definitely is applications for the 3D documentation in the civil industry. Um, you know, I think just a lot of the professional engineers are, are used to reviewing and signing and sealing those 2D plans, you know. Yep. I definitely agree with that. They're used to it, right? That's that's one of these disruptors in the industry, and I think we kind of we kind of need it, especially with machine control and things like that. If you give a, 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 a an operator or somebody a chance to read a profile, and they're like, "Man, I gotta dig this trench," and let's go ahead and read this profile instead of knowing exactly where this this pipe is, you know, and and going to dig into it and knowing with this 3D model or layout information that it carries a point. It just it just there's so many different ways that we can utilize this information, I feel like, and it, taking it 3D instead of 2D and flat helps with interpretation and visualization, right? I, I just yeah. want to harp on that point right there about 2D, uh, engineers signing 2D real quick. Um, do, do you think that that's a deterrent to moving along the industry? Because I've chat with many people and on the BIM side, we get 3D all day long, right? But on the civil side... There, there's um, there's kind of a understanding that at some point in time, unless you have a great long long-standing relationship, uh, you're going to get an exploded DWG, um, and it, you're going to have to recreate, especially from a grading standpoint, you're going to have to recreate the machine control aspects of this for you guys to be able to use in, in your you know further downstream. Is that something you're still seeing? Are you guys trying to break that curve? Just trying to figure out what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I, I mean, we're definitely trending towards the digital, you know, deliverables. Um, but ironically, like these reviewing agencies and permitting agencies that we issue our drawings and documents to, some of them still want wet signed and sealed mylar <sighs> drawings. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with in this industry. And like, until they start getting on board, it's going to be hard for all these civil engineering firms to kind of get like. Well, push it, so offline, so you give me all of these people's numbers, man. I'm going to give them calls and we're going to have some conversations. <laughs> well, dude, I think it's just he said it right there. I mean, government entities, a lot of times, I think that's a hard trust, right? They have that hard trust environment where they're like, wait, you're sharing my information in the cloud. Uh, we don't know if we can do that. Right. And I don't know if I want to do this. Well, I don't know if- there's so many barriers jumps you got to get over this was in my write-up uh you know plug this guy right my plug plug for my write-up uh (laughs) i did this you know brief write-up it was nothing but but um in it i i mentioned the kind of adverse reactions to the cloud which is it's a big deterrent um I know a large architecture firm. I'm talking, I say large, 80 seats of uh, AEC collections, good sized firm, right? That was uh, appalled by the thought of going to the cloud. Their owners were like, no, our data is less secure. We can never do this. Uh, and then you, you, you prove the use case to them. It's something that comes over time. That person has to pretty much leave and for, in order for us to have that conversation about the cloud. But then once you have the cloud, it's like, oh, my God, this saved us like thousands of dollars. We more than paid for our seats of the the design application to move to the cloud by doing this workflow uh, instead of, uh, um, you know, doing traditional methods. And it's all because there's this mindset that the cloud is unsecure uh, that that people kind of hold. But 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 so Britain Langdon. Yeah, so Britt Langdon was on our podcast, and I had this conversation actually earlier today with uh, Jacob Horton. Uh, uh, Britt Langdon actually brought up a, a beautiful point about cloud technology and technology in general is whenever we build technology, we never think about the, the security factors. And then when we do think about the security factors, it's it's actually to our detriment because the company that we're, we're um, you know, questioning all the security factors to is a Fortune 500 company that's already thought about all the security factors and has all this. They've got their FISA and their FedRAMP and all that stuff in, in place. And and we should literally just, you know, thinking about it, uh, get out of our own way and and not put all our trust in some company, but, but at least, you know, play with the technology to figure out if it's going to meet our standards. Yeah. I mean, I know it's hard these days with, with – uh with cyber warfare and everything like that, all the hackers and everything, dude, so, it's real. I mean, it's so real. It, you think about that real. type of stuff. Uh, it is I know real. I have a dozen or so companies that I know of uh, across the country that have been attacked with uh, ransomware. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot about that, but have you encountered any uh, ransomware type stuff or know anybody that's encountered that stuff in the future or in the past, not in the future? Yeah, yeah, our uh, our president uh, got got nailed. He clicked on a bad link, locked up his computer, uh, and uh, they had to pay some sort of ransom oh, to get it back. Man. And they paid, and thankfully they sent them the unlock key. Uh, you have to do it within to twenty it. or forty eight hours or something insane yeah. like that. Yeah, right? dude, it's nuts. Yeah, but like so, five years ago, this is kind of uh, some of the battles like I was facing and our IT manager was facing is like trying to get our company to go to the cloud with a lot of different applications and now like you know we're fully embedded into the cloud um oh yeah no, you're no looking back and like you know as you guys know your data is way more secure in the cloud than it is yeah. in your on on-premise 
server or whatever. Yeah. Yep. I did an ethics training, uh, uh, a uh, security and ethics training in the past week or two. And then uh, this week I uh, fell victim to an ethics and security thing. Luckily it was a test from them, but still it was like a, uh, you know, like they sent me a thing. And and again, they like, uh, we did the ethics and security thing and it was like a, a pizza hut sends you a, uh, it was, you know, you got a free pizza. And I was just like, I don't believe any of this. And I was stupid. And I clicked unsubscribe when that's not what you do. You don't click unsubscribe because you're giving me your information. Instead of what you do is you actually just delete the email and don't worry about it. Um, but I fell victim to that myself, which was, you know, yeah. dumb. We, yeah, we did a, happens, we did an dude. internal test uh, after the, the president got, got nailed with that ransomware. Our IT manager sent out an email to all employees from our president asking for a, a donation of a gift card of like 50 bucks to a charity. I bet a lot fell for that. There <laughs> were so many people that did this. And I'm like, we should fire every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you just Dang. gave 50 bucks because the president told you to. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to say I'd probably give 50 bucks. <laughs> I immediately, I, as soon as I got it, I, I sent it to our IT guy. I'm like, is this legit? He's like, yeah, it's a test. Ignore it. Uh, so nice. so one of my best friends, uh, Dave, you know, Doug Lordson, he was uh, an Autodesk uh, license agreement manager. He worked out of the Manha- Man- Manchester office for years. He was on the licensing side for Autodesk for about, I don't know, six to 10 years. And then he came back to us. So he was with us, went to Autodesk, came back to us. And now he's on our IT team. So now every now and then I'll shoot him an email and say, look, dude, is this legit, man? I do the whole thing that you just said. Is this legit? But uh, for whatever reason, last week I uh, I failed that test and uh, I clicked on subscribe, man. And they got back to me and they're like, you have been you know, targeted with what? Well, this was a, a, a test and you failed. And I'm like, damn it, I just took the test. Yeah. It is what it is, man. Yeah. Well, so hey this, man, this, does this go down in record as the longest podcast ever? I was just about to say, man, I think we're about an hour and forty-five minutes, somewhere around there. We're we're pushing some boundaries here. Uh, I think now's probably a good time to start start the wrap up. I texted David uh, probably about ten minutes ago, like, look, man, uh, we're at that limit, man. We should probably start wrapping up. I don't want to waste your time. I know we're heading into the the holiday weeks, but. Uh, uh, b- before we jump offline, I just want you to tell me a little bit more about your uh, Volterra and kind of wrap up a little plug about CEC and yourself. Yeah. Um, so uh, Volterra, like I said, you know, in hopes we can go back next year and continue on some of those projects that uh, are, are still underway. Um, you know, um, CEC as a company is doing really well. And ironically, uh, throughout this pandemic um you know we've had the most profitable year we've had in the last 10 years which is kind of hard to believe but fortunate to be a part of a good company with good leadership um so definitely blessed to be be with these guys um you know we've we've grown a lot since i've been a part of the company i've been with cec 13 years i think i started we were 230 employees now we're 1100 pushing 1200 employees wow well, you know, we, we grow on average 20% a year in revenue and employees, which is pretty pretty good for civil engineering companies. Um, always looking for new opportunities in different markets and, you know, smaller companies to acquire to get different uh, territories around the country. Uh, so, you know, um, myself just doing my thing, plugging away, just 
keep doing what I do and, you know, all good. So, well, I look forward to following you guys. You guys are a uh, Pittsburgh staple. Um, and adding to that, man, I look forward to our continued monthly conversations. Although with the holidays coming up, it might be January, unfortunately. But uh, we'll try and plan something for mid mid December. See how that sticks. But uh, I gotta have Rob on another another podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. this podcast could go for at least another. Oh hour yeah, I, I could yeah, talk all night. Saying. He was saying <laughs> right? like, look, man, we we've hit a record here with how long this is going. It's like, and I don't feel like we're done. I was like, all right, we got to figure out a way to wrap this up soon. I know, dude. Like, I honestly, I could keep going into scanning. I could go into UAV. Yeah. We could I, I was. Three more things in my head right now that I know if I say it, we're going to be on here till midnight. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think we got to have Rob on again. We have a tendency to dive into tangents. Uh, it's actually the, the whole podcast format is we have, you know, 3% of the conversation is planned and 97% of it is tangents. Tangents, I can tell. And, and that's, that's literally how it goes. But but with 11% alcohol, I don't know how much more I can be coherent. So I, I think this is probably a good, good stopping point, guys. Yeah, well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be on your podcast. Definitely uh, honored to be a guest. Oh, well, you're going to be a guest on a few more, man. So uh, you, you've felt fallen victim to this. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Thanks for joining. I'd be happy to. Be happy All to. right. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to hang up now. I appreciate it so much. Thank you.